0: So I'll holdings. May please the court. Terence Ross with Captain and Mewch and Rosamond for the debtor, debtor plaintiff appellant Windstream. The district court's decision here is predicated on two errors that mandate reversal. First, it ignored the bankruptcy court's multiple findings of fact that Charter sent a false mailer to Windstream's customers designed to appear as if it came from Windstream. Second, it misread the bankruptcy court's decision as a failing to apply the Taggart standard from the Supreme Court to Charter's violation, despite multiple express references to Taggart in the decision as being the standard. Let me talk about the first error. On no less than four separate occasions, the bankruptcy court found Charter intentionally designed its false mailer appear as if it came from Street.
1: Isn't that claim still viable? In other words, your client still has the patent infringement or copyright infringement claim, correct?
0: False advertising. Claim. False
1: adver- what, you know, the copying of the uh, colors and logo of, of your client. That claim can still go forward.
0: Yes, Your Honor, but the, 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 a, a party should not be Required to pursue one cause of action when the same set of facts give rise to multiple causes of action And here the most expedient way to obtain full relief was through a violation of the automatic stay
1: But but how is the copying of the image a violation of the automatic stay versus the act itself? So do, the, you, do, you the see what, do you see is I understand it really your question the, the, the act of whether you're There the, your opponent's actions or the competitor's actions were affecting the property that was the subject of the bankruptcy, not the method by which they went about doing that, which is the copyright infringement or, or copying of the company logo. Um,
0: so, Your Honor, I think we always start with the statute, which could not be any broader and has been referred to by the Supreme Court as fundamental to the bankruptcy of regime. It's it says that it's applicable to all entities. That's a quote. And here's the key language. It stays, quote, any act, any act to obtain possession of property of the estate or to exercise control over property of the estate. And the actions that we allege did that was sending out the false mailer, communicating false information about Windstream's continued ability to provide service and doing it as if it was an official bankruptcy notice from Windstream. But, but-
1: It may not be a nice thing to do, uh, but competitors do that. I guess I'm trying to understand, if you can help me understand how that, how the district court got it wrong, that 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 conduct, albeit may not be a, a, a nice thing for a competitor to do, amounts to a violation of the automatic stay because it, controls the assets or the property that's the subject of the bankruptcy.
0: First, Your Honor, this is not normal competitive advertising. This court must accept the finding the fact of the bankruptcy court. Because remember, Deep DiBattista, you independently review the bankruptcy court's decision, accepting its findings of fact. And it found, as a matter of fact, that this was not mere competitor advertising, that this was something more than that. It was an attempt to mislead customers of Windstream about the bankruptcy process, about the ability to provide service, and worse, it did so by impersonating the debtor. And here is what makes it a violation of the automatic stay: They took the identity of the debtor and used it as if it were their own. That is a taking of goodwill. Goodwill is considered property of the debtor's estate. This court, all the courts have said that. Colliers and bankruptcy has said that. Goodwill is property, of the estate, subject to the automatic stay. And here, they—they—they—it's the ultimate form of taking that. They became Windstream. They sent out this mailer, wanting people to believe that it was part of the official bankruptcy notice process. And it was at the exact same time that those notices were going out.
2: So that is a taking is of so the goodwill. this is a, um, different from general advertising, which can go on during a bankruptcy. I mean, the automatic state doesn't reach a competitor's desire to put up a billboard. Please, you know, Correct. please Correct. You're, you're absolutely right, Your Honor. This is different because uh, this mailer um, was specifically attention Windstream customers, in the color and style of a Windstream package. So it's reaching out to Windstream's um, client list, essentially. Um, but then when you open it, uh, it's Spectrum saying, you know, we're happy to help you.
0: But that's not a fact in evidence in the record here. What is in evidence is that we received hundreds and hundreds of phone calls from the recipients, all who said the same thing. We opened it. We thought this was from Windstream telling us that we were going out of business and we should switch our service to Spectrum and here's a special deal and from that, them.
2: And that was false in the bankruptcy courts, um, by the bankruptcy courts findings of facts because uh, Charter knew at that time that Windstream was going to be continuing in bankruptcy. It wasn't in danger of having to cut off service.
0: Yes, Your Honor, The important thing here is that Charter itself had gone through Chapter 11 reorganization. It knew how this bankruptcy process worked. And it had been the victim of the exact same scheme. When it was in bankruptcy, DirecTV sent out a mailer to the Charter customer saying, "Um, they're going out of business, they're bankrupt, switch your service. Now, here, they should have known that that was wrongful because they sued over that and, and branded as unlawful, and that you, satisfies the Taggart the, standard. Could
2: you address your adversary's argument that the record doesn't really contain um, evidence that there was property, at least in the form of contracts, that issued here?
0: Well, first, this court has to start with recognizing that that was a finding of fact by the bankruptcy court. It has to accept. They challenged that finding at the district court, and the district court said, this was not clear error. There's enough evidence on the record. This court now needs to accept that. What's the actual evidence of record? We have charter exec- executives testified. They knew they had contracts, and we want to get those contracts, and let's send out this mailer. In the mailer, it says, charter has two-year contracts. We're willing to buy them out. Then there is JA 1025 in the record, which is an internal document from um, Charter's records showing the contracts of Windstream subscribers they bought out. Actually, shows them. the district court, I mean the bankruptcy court, that made finding that these contracts had an average term life of 55.0 years, and that's based on testimony in the record, and and. and, uh, finally, there is the um, website, which is Court is allowed to take judicial notice of, which indicates that they have these uh, contracts. So these, there's ample evidence help of that. me
2: out in understanding bankruptcy. If these contracts, and I know this, the record suggests, may suggest otherwise, but if these contracts were all terminable at will, um, would it constitute contracts, property of the, um, of the estate,
0: um, Your, Your Honor, these contracts were based on termination on 30 days' notice, and this court and other ban- courts in the bankruptcy contexts have repeatedly found that such contracts are executory contracts, which make them property of the debtor's estate for the because bankruptcy. It's
2: because of the 30 days' notice.
0: Well, there are two types of contracts. There are two-year contracts; those are obviously executory contracts. Then there are also some of these um, um, contracts that are based on thir- you have to give 30 days' notice to cancel. Um, and that makes them executory contracts. Um, my time is almost up. Uh, Your Honor, I reserve what I have left for a rebuttal, unless there's another question now.
3: May it please the Court, David Cooper, on behalf of Charter Communications. The issue here is not whether the advertising was unfair in their view. The question here is whether charters' mailings, and to be clear, these were mass mailings, not using a customer list, mass mailings to a random 800,000 people.
2: But directed to Windstream's customers. I mean, the, the front of the envelope says, pay attention you're a Windstream customer.
3: There's no question that they were intended to get the attention of Windstream customers, but not using a customer list, just sent to people who may or may not have been Windstream customers. And the question is whether or not that mailer controlled Winstrom's property and whether there's no fair ground of doubt on the issue.
2: Or attempted to control or obtain possession of. I mean, I'm just looking at the
3: statute. Correct. If it was possession, that would be another. But they don't argue possession. The The only avenue that they argue for a violation of the automatic stay is control over property. And here, where the district court itself said not only is there no fair ground of doubt, But there's no control over property, no violation of the automatic stay at all. At the very least, that provides a fair ground of doubt on the issue. And that's especially true when there's no court ever that has held the contrary until this very case, until the bankruptcy court in this very case. No court had ever said that advertising could violate the automatic stay. And so there's at the very least a fair ground of doubt when the district court itself said that was not a violation. And the reason is that the automatic stay has never been used as a tool to police unfair advertising. As Judge Hunt uh, indicated, that's what the Lanham Act is for. There is a claim here that can deal with their concerns about whether or not this advertising was fair or unfair, false or true. And that claim is pending right now in the district court. The automatic stay, on the other hand, is defined in the bankruptcy code. That's the only place that a party can look to know whether or not they could be held in contempt for violating the automatic stay. And what the bankruptcy code says is control over property. It does not say affecting property. It does not say producing the value of property. It says control over property. So this idea that they have that this is not competitive activity, this goes beyond, it's not a question of how we want to characterize it. It's a question of whether or not there's control, literal control over property. And it's telling that the closest case that they can cite for something that would be controllable property is a case where not only did the competitor use a customer list—that is something that's clearly property—but they literally went inside people's homes, changed a chip inside their homes to have the billing directed to themselves, to the competitor instead of the debtor. That is the closest case that they can, can come up ask, with.
2: You, you uh, refer to this as advertising, and maybe that's what it is. It seems pretty much like a solicitation to me. It's a Directed at Windstream's customers, because if you're not a Windstream customer, you're not even going to open this. And when you open it, it has it does have information that says Windstream is in bankruptcy. Uh, Save your your valuable. Don't don't take the chance of losing your valuable internet service. You can switch to us. Um, I mean, that's maybe that's advertising, but it seems to me that it is. Uh, uh, aimed at Windstream and uh, and pretty much saying, get out of your contract because otherwise you may go two weeks without internet service.
3: So there's no question that it is aimed at Windstream customers, that the purpose of it was to attempt to get Windstream customers to switch to Charter, that is undeniably true. And right on the very top of the advertisement, once you open the envelope, it says Spectrum. It says that we want you to switch to Spectrum, is the brand that Charter uses in this context. And so it is very clear that we're asking customers to switch. The question is whether are we controlling customers by asking them to switch? No. And are those customers it's themselves property of 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 Windstream? And they are not. And so that's ultimately what it comes down to. Not the customers, but the contractual relationships. Sure. So as far as the contractual relationships, there are literally no contracts in the record. You could search the record in vain to try to find a contract that exists. And while it's absolutely true that the Bank Street Court found that there must be some contract, um, and the district court accepted that finding, what the district court said is, yes, I can accept the finding that some contracts must exist somewhere, or may exist somewhere, let's say. But we have no idea what those contracts say, because those contracts are not in the record. And then that leaves the question of, are there property rights in those contracts, let alone the second question, are, is there control over those property rights in the contract? And as Your Honor noted, if these are not executory contracts, if these are terminable at will, and if you look at their very website, it suggests that they are terminable at will. If they are, then there is no uh, property right in maintaining the customers. And it is their burden, their obligation, to come forward to put into evidence what contracts there are that define what property rights they say that we are controlling. And they failed to do so. So this is not a question of deference to the bankruptcy court, which did not address this question of what's in the contracts, because there were no contracts in the record. We can accept that they exist. But this still doesn't answer the question of, were there property rights
2: and were those some, some
1: of the notices, however, said to the customers, if you're in a two-year contract, we'll buy your contract out, or we'll, you know, we'll give you credit for that. So there was some mention in an effort to get Windstream's customers about, to the extent they had a contract, that it would be honored, no?
3: That that absolutely was in the advertisement. And I think it's notable that Windstream has never actually said that they have two-year contracts. That they could have said, theoretically, you said we have two-year contracts. We do have two-year contracts. And that's our property right. They never said that because what they advertise, what they claim, what they've always claimed is right prominently on their website, we don't have contracts. So while it's certainly true that that's what was said in the advertisement, that doesn't define whether or not They actually, A, exist, and B, give them property rights. It's their burden to come forward and say, here are the contracts, here are the property rights we have. But even if if these contracts existed, even if there was a two-year deal and they had a right to keep these customers for two years, that still doesn't answer the question of, are you controlling that property right? And here, there is no control from simply telling customers, we would like you to switch. Here are a bunch of reasons why we have better service, we have more channels, we have faster internet, and also they're in bankruptcy and they are risk to bankruptcy. That, That is all that Charter said. And that does not control whatever rights that Windstream had to keep its customers that asked the customers to switch. And that is a fundamental distinction that, frankly, no court has breached. No court has said, if you influence customers, that constitutes a control over property. This would be the first case ever to do that, and it would take uh, I would take courts, I believe, down a very dangerous road, because as as your honor has indicated, this is this is something that happens all the time. Competitors advertise. Competitors ask consumers to switch. They. Sh-
2: what do we make of the uh, the evidence that your adversary referred to? Of customers being confused and thinking
3: there was some relationship between Spectrum and uh, and Windstream. Sure. So, uh, two two things on that. One, I don't I don't think there could be any reasonable confusion once you opened the envelope and saw a Spectrum prominently in large letters at this at the top of both pages of the advertisement. But the second thing is, again, customer confusion is something that the Lanham Act specifically deals with. It says it has a specific provision that talks about if you are advertised in a way that causes customers to be confused about where um, the advertisement comes from, that could be a violation. And notably, while they brought a Lanham Act claim for false advertising, they didn't bring a Lanham Act claim for that specific provision of the Lanham Act. And the reason is because using a couple of colors that a competitor uses is not close to a trade dress violation. It is not close to a trademark violation. And that is the property right in identity. So when they, when Windstrom Council says, they took, literally, they took our identity, we know what property rights in a corporation's identity look like. Those are defined by law. They're defined by law in terms of trademark and trade dress. They do not argue that there was a violation of trademark or trade dress here, because there's no legitimate claim that using a few colors is an actual violation of property rights. Again, the same is true when they talk about goodwill. Goodwill is an accounting concept that, depending on exactly what we're talking about, could be property or could not be property. The only property right they talk about in goodwill is based on what they call, and this is page 15 of their reply brief, their brand and their customer relationships. Their property right in their brand is defined by law. It's defined by law in terms of trademark and trade dress. They assert no violation of that. Their customer relationships are defined by contract. They put in no contracts, and there is no control over contractual rights. And again, at the absolute minimum, there is a fair ground of doubt on this issue when literally no court has ever held the contrary before.
1: There, there is value in goodwill, people buy businesses just for, for the name or the reputation of, of a particular business or company. So there is some value in goodwill, correct?
3: There is value in goodwill. and the, But the question is, is there control over the property that is embodied within goodwill? That's the question here. And the property embodied in the goodwill that they, uh, by their own definition, is their brand. And so, this is, again, there could be goodwill, for example, in customer lists, something like that. And that's why we have cases that deal with customer lists and physically taking them and using them. But when we're talking about just a brand, there we have a property right that's defined specifically in terms of the, the trade dress and the trademark which is, which, of which there was no violation here. And so I see my time, my time is up, but I'll, for those reasons we'd ask this court to affirm.
0: Counsel has studiously avoided talking about the taking of the name and the identity. Your Honor has already mentioned that name appears right on the front cover. Taking the name and identity is a violation of goodwill. Says that no case has ever said that. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. The Golden Distributors case says exactly that. The Golden Distributors case says you mail advertisements to customers of a debtor and you pose as the debtor in doing that. That is a taking of goodwill and it is a violation of the automatic stay. In that case, there was no imposter um, taking position. Here, the court has found that they were an imposter. They took the identity. They took the goodwill. That's property of the state, and that is a violation of the automatic state. What makes this worse, though, is this all happened to Charter during its Chapter 11 bankruptcy. How can they say that it was objectively reasonable, or that it was a close call, or there was, no, there was some doubt in their minds when they said that that exact same conduct in Chapter 11 constituted unlawful and wrongful acts and sued over it? That is exactly what Taggart says. Satisfies the standard for holding someone in contempt. Remember they, the,
1: they sued over it, but not in bankruptcy court to get the state. That is correct. So presumably in your pending claim still against them, you'll be able to use those those same uh, words. Well, we, we intend to, but
0: we believe that this decision by the district court is wrong, should be vacated. It's clearly mistaken in that it ignored findings of fact without identifying any clear error. And you notice there, again, was no identification of clear error. There was a lot of speculation as to what the customer saw when they opened up. But the record says they believed that even after opening it up, that it was from Windstream telling them to switch to um, to um, Spectrum. Um, now, let me add one last thing. My time's almost up, uh, but Your Honor uh, got at this by talking about attempts. The courts, including this court, have said it's not just control over um, debtor property. It's any interference. That interference equals control. And that when you go and interfere with the customer relationship by telling them lies about the company and misleading them about the bankruptcy process, you have interfered. You have exercised control over property of the debtor, the goodwill, and the contracts. Thank you your honor.
2: Thank you both. Well argued. We'll take the matter under advisement.